This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. I hope you had a wonderful summer. I hope you didn't miss me as much as I missed you, because that would have been painful. (laughs) Welcome back. We are now getting started, and right at the right time, because the high holidays are nigh upon us. I hope you had a nice summer filled with uh, tall glasses of chilled lemonade being sipped on the back porch, marinated steaks on the grill, and mosquitoes that only bite once. Uh, Personally, I prefer the fall here in Michigan. Not because of the weather, but because of the lack of orange construction barrels everywhere you go. But it is that time of the year where we start turning the corner on the year and we start getting close to the high holidays. And we're going to do now a series. We'll do one week this week on the the month of Elul. Then we'll do Rosh Hashanah. We'll do Yom Kippur. And we will do Sukkot. And I look forward to journeying that journey with you. I want to thank you all for coming out here. I want to thank you for... uh, it was raining and pouring outside. You guys are here. You're in full force. Thank you. Thank you for those who are on Zoom. And thank you for anybody who's watching this on Torah anytime afterwards. I also want to thank the amazing staff at Yeshua Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit for sending out a beautiful spread for us and enabling this to happen. Beautiful graphic design. Beautiful everything. I want to thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app. It's a website. It's filled with incredible Torah knowledge. Do not trust me. Go ahead yourself and verify this information. Go check it out. Listen to five, six, seven lectures. Get back to me. Tell me if it was filled with incredible Jewish knowledge or not. I'd love to hear from you. Alrighty, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen. L. The month to prepare. This young man came with the best of pedigrees. Harvard undergrad graduates in the top ten of his class. Goes to Wharton School of Business at UPenn and gets a master's in business administration. Graduates as the valedictorian. Then he goes on. He's not done yet. When you're going for school, you might as well go for schooling. He wants to be a JD MBA, so he gets his Juris Doctor, his law degree, from Yale. Graduates top of his class. This guy is the most sought-after guy in the world of finance and business. Every firm is after him. Every firm in New York is trying to court him. A few in Chicago put in offers, but small cities like Detroit and St. Louis, they're not even trying. They don't have a chance. He finally picks one firm, and he's given every perk. He has an expense account the size of the GDP of a small nation. He has unfettered access to the corporate fleet of jets, technological gizmos galore, a staff of secretaries and assistants to aid him in any way he needs. This is the guy that's going to bring billions under management every single year. All he's got to do, he's got everything set for him. Now just go out there and bring home the money to Papa. That's all you got to do. But uh, he doesn't. Everyone's expecting him. He's got all the connections in the world. He went to Harvard. He went to Yale. Wharton. He knows everybody who's everybody. Get out there. Pound the payment. Bring in some pension funds. The firefighters' pension fund. Bring in the the educators' pension fund. Bring in money. That's what you got to do when you're out there in a financial firm. It's all about AUM. The amount of under management. So go bring home the dollars. But... Not really. <laughs> First couple of months, he brings in a couple of small accounts. 
half a million dollars here, two million dollars here. People are like, what's going on with this guy? The next month, no sales at all. October, November, it's so slow. And everyone's like, well, listen, he's making the contacts. He's making, he must be making the contacts because he sure is using the corporate jet. He sure is using the corporate jet and the expense account. He's going out for dinner. And when people see him out there, it seems like he's out there with his buddies instead of people from various family offices. But whatever, that maybe he's, all his contacts from school, they must know people with money. Then he's off to Monaco. <laughs> he's got Monaco, what are you doing there? Unless you're getting the Sovereign Wealth Fund, what are you doing in Monaco? Nine months go by. Close to a year goes by, and this guy is the biggest dud anybody has ever seen on Wall Street. And everybody in the firm is like, cut our losses, okay? We picked the wrong number one draft pick. Let's put him out to the farm club and find somebody else, because this guy is just wasting our time and our energy. We've got to throw this guy to the dogs. Let him be a cautionary tale. When you come in with this kind of pedigree and you meet with all the firm's top brass and you promise to bring in the big dollars and you don't, you're persona non grata on Wall Street. Get him out of here. But the CEO of the firm says, no, no, no. <laughs> I know this guy. I know where he's coming from. I know what he's capable of. We've invested in him so much. Something's not clicking here, but I'm not about to give up on him. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move down from my corner office on the top floor. I'm going to move down to his floor. I'm going to meet with him. I'm going to have meetings with him in the morning. Who are we going today? Who are, where, who are we meeting with? What's our strategy today? What are we doing today? I'm going to meet with him. I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to spend a month with him and see if we can get him together. And then by the year end, we'll have our year end review. If he's still not performing, fine. But I'm not ready to let go like this. Amen. What kind of boss really does that? It's nine, ten months in. The guy's a dud. I'll tell you one kind of boss that does that. If the boss, if the head of the firm, if the founder of the financial institution happens to also be this kid's father. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, that's what's happening to us right now. God sent us out into the world to go make a huge difference. To bring the light into the world. To bring kindness and sanctity, love, respect, holiness, purity, gratitude, prayer. And He gave us everything. He gave us, they invested, Hashem invested so much in us. He gave us incredible circulatory systems that bring oxygen to all parts of our body so we can get up and go. He gave us homes with heating and cooling. He gave us cars that can drive comfortably over the highways at 70, 80 miles an hour. He gave us everything. And all he says to us is, go out and bring the light to the world. 
Show the world what godly people are. You are supposed to be a kingdom of ministers and a holy people. Show the world what godly living looks like. You are my witnesses, says the Lord. Go out there and show the world what godly living is like. And what do we do? We get lost in the petty. We get into ridiculous arguments with people. We fight and we squabble. We speak bad about one another. We ignore the incredible gifts that God puts in our lives. We don't talk to Him the way we should be talking to Him. We don't talk to others the way we should be talking to others. We take all the technological advances that He gave us so that we can get our message out to the world. Hashem gave us cell phones so we can call people halfway around the world and uplift them and check in on them and say, how are you doing? We have the ability to be walking in the street, driving in your car on the phone with somebody 9,000 miles away and it's crystal clear. And He gave that to us so that we can uplift the world. And instead, what do we use it for? Candy crush? (laughs) The board is calling for the blood. And Hashem says, hold on. There, There is a big review coming up. There's a big review coming up in one month where they're going to say, is our investment in Laby worth it? Is our investment in Sarala worth it? Is our investment in Sammy worth it? As the Gemara tells us in Rosh Hashanah, tractate, Rosh Hashanah, page 16b, you can see the source in your source sheet, source number one. Can someone bring me a, a source sheet? Oh, Rabbi Kruspadai says in the name of Rabbi Yechanan, There are three books that are opened on Rosh Hashanah. We've all heard this before. One of the evil, and one of the righteous, and one of the people in the middle. The tzaddikim, the righteous people, are written right away for an amazing year. The wicked are written for, for death, a year of emptiness, a year of void. And the middle of the road people are held in abeyance. They're held suspended from Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur to see if they can make it. There's a big review coming over on us very shortly. The one advantage that we have is that we happen to have a father in the corner office of the top floor. And he says, I don't want to leave my kids until the last minute. I'm going to come down from my top corner office on the top floor. I'm going to come down to spend a month with you, preparing with you. I'm going to spend a month right there at your side. Let's wake up in the morning and talk about what today is going to look like. What are you going to do today? Who are you going to reach out to today? Are you going to put in some prayers today? Are you going to give some charity from all the blessing that God gave you today? Because I want you to coast, not coast, but approach Rosh Hashanah filled with a bag full of merits. 
Throughout the days, the high holidays, we describe Hashem as Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King. He is our Father first, our King second. He is our Father in Elo, coming to us right now saying, let me spend the month with you. Feel me in your life this month. Because I want you to be able to come to Rosh Hashanah when I'll be Malkeinu. And I'll have to deliver a judgment. I want you to be ready. That's why, of course, the sages tell us that this is a month characterized by excess love from Hashem to the Jewish people. Source number two, the Pasuk from Shira Shirim, the verse from Song of Songs, Ani ledodi vedodi li, I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me, which has the Rashi Tevos, the acronym of Elul. This is a month of love. This is a month of incredible love. And as the way the, the Balatanya, the great first Lubavitcher Rebbe, describes in the Tanya on Parshas Re'eh, this is a month where the king is in the field. Hamelech Basade. The king is not sitting in his palace waiting so he can judge us and get a, give us all bad judgments if we didn't get things right. No, 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 no. The king says, let me go out into the fields. Let me leave the palace. Let me leave the corner suite and come down and be with the people. Let me come down and walk, walk amongst them. Let me come down and help them. However, the Balatanya also points out the words, I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me. God will make himself available. God will come out into the fields. God will leave the corner office and come down to our floor. But we need to approach him and say, God, can you help? Of course he can. That's why he's here. He didn't leave the, the palace and come down to the field not to help. But I Lidodi. I am to my beloved. We got to make the first move. We got to step forward. That's what El is all about. How, do, how does this work? There's a concept that a human being is compared to a tree. It comes from the Parsha's... Either it comes in last week's Parsha, I believe. It says, Ki ha'adam, Yeah, it was last week's Parsha. Ki ha'adam et For the man is a tree of a field. Now it's asked there in the rhetorical, is a man a tree? But the sages, all the Kabbalists, they all say this is meant to be taken as literally. A man is like the tree of the field. There's many comparisons how a man is compared to a tree. Now let me show you a fascinating law about trees, since we're talking about humans and trees. Look at source number four. This is from the Babylonian Talmud tractate Rosh Hashanah. Tanara Banana Rabbis taught, Echad Hanotea, Ve'echad Amarkiv, sorry, Ve'echad Amavrich, Ve'echad Amarkiv, Erev Shvi Eshloshim Yomlufne Rosh Hashanah. One plants a tree or bends a branch from the tree under the ground and creates a new tree out of that. That was one of the ways they used to create new trees. They would take a branch from a tree, put it under the ground, have it come up, and then there you go, baby tree. Along that song. Do you guys remember that song? Baby tree. Okay, now. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Do you know that Baby Shark was the most ever viewed YouTube video in the history of YouTube? And it's got like... I think it's over 100 billion views. Okay. Baby tree. 
If you also markiv, markiv is when you graft a tree. So you take a, a strong branch from a strong tree and you put it into a tree that's suffering. But the bottom line is, if you do those actions, Erev Shvi'i Yom Lefnei Rosh Hashanah. The halakha is that on, Rosh, on Shemitah year, we're not allowed to plant anything. There's once every seventh year, there's a sabbatical, and you're not allowed to plant anything new. So if you plant your tree 30 days before Rosh Hashanah, also Loshana, the year is considered a full year, and umuta lekaimam b'shviyas. Because if it's 30 days planted before Rosh Hashanah, that's considered a next year's tree, and you're allowed to keep it. However, if you plant the tree five days before Rosh Hashanah, it hasn't really taken root yet, and therefore, it's considered like you're planting it in the next year, which is the sabbatical year, and usr l'kaimam b'shviyas, you're not allowed to keep them alive in shviyas if it has not been planted 30 days before Rosh Hashanah. This law refers to our law, this law refers to Shemitah, different laws of agriculture. But let's think about how it applies to us. On Rosh Hashanah, we're going to be standing before God. And we're going to say to Hashem, Hashem, this year, I'm going to be so amazing. Now, Hashem does want to judge us based on how we are on Rosh Hashanah. However, what happens when God can... He says, pull out the tapes. And they, they pull out a drawer. A seven foot long drawer. And they start bringing out the tapes. There's the old record players from the, from, the, from the 50s and 60s. And there's some A-tracks. There's some cassette players. Through the years, the, the, the technology changes. But they start playing the videos. And every single video is you saying, oh, Rosh Hashanah, God, this year I'm going to be great. This year I'm going to be better. Hashem, please, give me an amazing year. I know my health is not doing too great, but I really get it. Please, help me come back full strength, because this year I'm going to be amazing. You said that on Rosh Hashanah 5773. Sorry, 783. You said it on Rosh Hashanah 5782, 5781, 5787. You said it in Rosh Hashanah in 1999. You said it in Rosh Hashanah in 2014. You said it in Rosh Hashanah in 2003. You said it in Rosh Hashanah in 1988. You said it in Rosh Hashanah your entire life. And God's like, I want to believe that what you're saying here is sincere, but... I'll judge you, if, if it, it is sincere, I'll judge you based on today. But the problem is, I, I don't know how sincere it is. A tree is not a tree if you just plant it that day. A tree has to be planted well in advance. Everyone says, let me take on a Rosh Hashanah commitment. What's your New Year's resolutions? Don't take a Rosh Hashanah commitment. Take an L commitment. Get comfortable with your new role of a better person. And then when you come in on Rosh Hashanah and say, God, it's going to be great this year. I'm like, wow, I can actually see you've done great so far. You're pulling high marks, high marks right now. So that is the first step we have to understand. That Rosh, If we want to be able to get a good Rosh Hashanah, the time to start is not Rosh Hashanah. It's now. Think about what you want to improve and start doing it now. Come into Rosh Hashanah. Not I will improve, but I'm an improved model with new features. This model gives charity every day. By the way, easiest thing in the world. Put a charity box wherever you take out your change 
and you put it down when you come in, if you're a man, women usually just have it all in their purse, whatever it is, just have it stuck a box somewhere in your house and a stack of quarters next to it. It's that easy. You want to give charity every day? You want to make sure a day doesn't go by where you don't give charity? Have a stuck a box with a stack of quarters next to it and put a quarter in every day. Or a dollar, or a $10 bill, or a hundo. Go for it. Go big. right? Slap a Benjamin in there every day. No problem. <coughs> it's 250 days a year because of Shabbos and Yom Tiv. It's $25,000. Not, not a bad haul. Okay, but whatever you get. doesn't make a difference. God doesn't really care about what the amount is. It really all depends on what your abilities is. But whatever that number you determine that you could give, have it set up. Come in. You're the new model year. They sell the 2024 cars in the middle of 2023. I've got all kinds of new features. This one has, it drives itself. This one says, I'll drive your, I'll, I'll, not only will I drive for you, I'll, I'll order your groceries. The next guy comes out, not only will I drive for you, I'll pick up carpool. That's the one I'm buying. That is the one I'm buying. If you get a car, that'll pick up carpool. Wow. Come into Rosh Hashanah, the new and improved model. Okay. Where did this whole L thing come from? Where does this whole concept of El come from? We have a rule that whenever you want to understand something, look at the first time it shows up in Judaism. So, because we, we believe in Judaism that every year is a continuous loop on a train. Like a, imagine like you, have a, you have a circular train tracks, and you stop at different stops every year. Okay? And every year it's the same stop. Pesach is the same every year. It has the same capabilities, the same powers. Every year you stop at Shavuos. It's a time of re-receiving the Torah and accepting upon yourself the Torah. Every year Simcha's Torah is a time to be joyful to the Torah. Every year Pesach is a time of redemption. Every year Sukkot is a time of incredible gratitude. Every year Elul. What is Elul? Let's go back and see if we can find the first Elul. Okay, here we go. Now, interestingly, that first Elul... The first stop that we're going to see is one in which that year was the year where there was a lot of initial train stops made, or a lot of the imprint made. It was the year that we came out of Egypt. That year was the first grand Pesach. Of course, there were people celebrating Pesach beforehand, like Avram, Yitzchak, Lot, but that was in preparation for what would come. The main Pesach happened about 3,335 years ago. That year we imprinted Pesach, that year we imprinted Shavuos onto the map. That was the year we received the Torah at Mount Sinai on the 6th of Sivan, 7th of Sivan. That year also was Elul. What happened on Elul? So let's go through the timeline. The Jewish people came out of Egypt on Pesach. They received the Torah on Shavuos. Moshe went up to go get the tablets. And when he said, he went up the mountain, he said, hey guys, don't do anything foolish. He came back down. 40 days later, they were doing something very foolish. Dancing around a golden calf. So now let's keep track over here. Got, Moshe went up for 40 days. He came down. They were serving a golden calf. God was furious. God wanted to wipe out the Jewish people and start over with the one man who was not involved in that at all and it could not have stopped it. right? Because it wasn't enough that you didn't do it. If you could have stopped it, why were you standing by silently while people are dancing around a golden calf saying, these are your gods, O Israel? So God's like... I'll, stop, I'll start over with the one man who had nothing to do with it because he was up here with me. Moses. Moses goes, no, 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 God, let me, let me talk to you about it. Moses goes up for 40 days to beg God not to kill the Jewish people. And God says, fine. 
I won't kill the Jewish people. But I don't want to have anything to do with them. They disgust me. We got married at Mount Sinai. We got married at Har Sinai. And I said to them, do not have any other gods before me. Don't cheat on me. And 40 days later, they're still sitting at my mountain. They're still sitting in the wedding hall. And they already are dancing around a golden calf. I won't kill you, because you asked. I won't kill them. Fine. I promised their Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Fine. I won't kill them. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I'm going to send an angel. He'll take care of whatever you need. Here's an angel. Call him like an escrow attorney. And here's my Amex Black. You got it. Whatever you want. I don't care. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to hear from you. It's like God said to the snake. The biggest punishment was God said to the snake, you'll eat dirt your whole life. Why is that a punishment? There's food everywhere. Exactly. God says, I don't want to hear from you ever again. Other animals will call out to me when they don't have food. I don't want to hear from you ever again. You'll have food wherever you want. God says, Moshe, fine. I won't kill the Jewish people. I'm going to send an angel. He'll take care of you. He'll make sure you're well fed. He'll make sure you have what to eat. He'll make sure you have nice houses. He'll make sure you have nice cars. Whatever, just ah, out of here. Moses says, no, no, no. Moses says, I'd like to come back up one more time, God, because that's not the relationship we're looking for. And he goes back up for a third time. And when does he go back up for that third time? On Rosh Chodesh Elo. And the message to God is very clear. God, we don't want to be taken care of. We don't want your American Express black card. We want you. We want you. We want to be close to you. We want to be engaged with you. And although that means that there will be difficulties along the way, it's a lot easier if you just take your American Express black, do whatever you want. No, that's not what we want. We want you. The first Elul ever is Moses going up on behalf of the Jewish people saying, God, we want you. Let's see some of the verses inside. Source number... Five. This comes from Deuteronomy, from the book of Devarim, when Moses is describing to the Jewish people his entire experience. I stood on the mountain. To get the second set of luchos. At the end of that 40-day period, the final 40-day period, Moses comes down with the second set of luchos, and God says, I've forgiven you. Not only did I forgive you, but I will move in with you. And the next day, they start working on building the tabernacle. So, okay, and Rashi points out, that doesn't say earlier how long this trip was. He says... I was on the mountain this time, the same amount of time as I was last time, i.e. 40 days. There's three 40-day periods. Three 40-day periods. But look at the second one. It says, Kayamim harishonim. I stood on the mountain like the first days. Now, the second days were also 40 days. He could have said like the second days. But no, Rashi points out. I stood on the mountain the last time, Kayamim harishonim, like the thir- first days, Shaluchos harishonos, when I got the first set of luchos. Mahem Beratzon, just like the first set of 40 days, was with incredible favor from God. God had just married the Jewish people, and He was about to give us the first set of Luchos, and there was an incredible love, an incredible favor from the Lord to the Jewish people. Af Elu Beratzon. So too, the last set. 
the last set of 40 days when Moshe went up on the first day of Elul and remained there from Elul through the Yom Kippur? These were days of great favor. But the middle 40 days when I was trying to daven, that was with God's anger and God's wrath. God was angry at you for those 40 days. The last 40 days, God had great favor and great love for you because the fact that you say to God, I don't want all the stuff. I want you. I don't want the luxuries. I don't want the angel taking care of me. I don't want the easy lifestyle. I want you with all the challenges that come along with being close to God. It's not easy to be the perfect people. It's not easy to be around God all the time. But you came back and you said you wanted to, even though I offered you the cushy life, being taken care of by an angel and given all that you want, you want more? Now I'm Baratzon with you. I have great favor for you. So this is the first time we see this period of Elul being referred to as days of Ratzon, days of great favor from the Lord. And indeed, the Jewish code of law describes this straight out. If you look at source number 6, Shulchan Aruch, the Jewish code of law, Arachayim, Tuf, Kuf, Aleph, Aleph, 581, 1. The days from Rosh Chodesh Elo, which was last week, until Yom Kippur is days of favor. And even though the whole year you can repent and all that, and Hashem, of course, will receive it, however, Yamim these are great days. These are very easy days. These are special days for doing a accounting, a self-accounting, and a self-repair. Because they are days of mercy and days of favor from the Rebona Shlolem. So again, the first time we see Elul being described, it's being described as days of favor. And that's when we went up, or Moshe went up on our behalf for the third time to say to God, I don't want a cushy life being taken care of by an angel. I want you. Let's break it down a little bit. I want to tell you about an argument that I had with my wife a lot when we were dating that never quite resolved. <laughs> Actually, no, 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 I'm sorry. I used the wrong word. When you're dating, you don't have arguments. You have disagreements. Disagreements. When you're married, you have arguments. This was a disagreement. Now, this was a disagreement that probably showed itself up on date three or four, but then came up almost every single date until we got married. And I'll tell you why it never got quite resolved. The disagreement that we had was on the roles in a marriage. I was a little bit more traditional. I was under the belief that the man has the responsibility to go out and be mefarnes and support the family, bring home the sustenance, and the woman is the akaris abayas, the woman is the one who holds up the whole home. And therefore, the man's... Of course, I'll help you out at home, and you'll help me out at work, but ultimately... My job is to go out and provide. Your job is to make sure the home is run efficiently, well, with love and care and nurturing and concern. My wife, she said, she thinks it should be like, we'll both go out to work and we'll both be responsible for taking care of the house. 
So this came up again and again and again and again. Can I get a water? Uh, actually, another Diet Coke Zero, if you don't mind. Another Diet Coke Zero, if you don't mind. Thank you. It's one of those kind of days. It's a two Diet Coke Zero day. All righty. <laughs> two and three. Oive. <laughs> Oive. Is it a three Diet Coke Zero day? We'll see. We'll find out. Okay. Now, why did it get, how did, why did it not get resolved? Baruch Hashem, we're married for a couple decades now, right? You should hope that by now we kind of figured out the answer. But the answer is that what we, the reason why it never got resolved is we realized it was a ridiculous question in the first place. Because when we were dating, we thought it's about you'll do this and you'll do that. You'll do your 50%, I'll do my 50%. It's not about that. It's, not, it's about everyone doing everything. Meaning, it's not about taking care of my responsibilities. It's about taking care of her. Understand the difference? If it's about taking care of your responsibilities, we're going to split up the responsibilities. You're going to have this. You'll be in the home. You'll be out of the home. Whatever, work, whatever, money, fine. If that's how it is, then, but that's not what marriage is about. Marriage is not about taking care of your responsibilities. Marriage is about taking care of of your wife. Eventually, marriage should be about taking care of your children. And taking care about those that you love, no matter what. It's not about saying, it's, 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 it's what can I do to make you comfortable? What would you want right now? How is she seeing it? And trying to create that type of care. One second. That is what marriage is all about. If marriage was about taking care of your responsibilities, you take care of your responsibilities, we'll take care of ours, that was the relationship God was offering to the Jewish people in the middle 40 days. And you can see that inside. Look at source number 7. This is Moshe's second 40 days with Hashem. Vayashav Moshe Hashem. Moshe comes up to Hashem. Hashem is furious. The Jewish people, they serve the golden calf. We cheated on our relationship with God at Mount Sinai, at the wedding hall. And he comes up. Moshe says, these people have made a terrible, terrible sin. And we're not trying to rationalize it away. That would have been the biggest mistake, to come up and say, well, they didn't really mean it, did it? No, no, no. Moshe knows. The first step you come in is you say, they did a terrible sin. And now, please forgive them. And if not, wipe me out. And Hashem says, okay, I'm going to wipe out whoever sinned against me. And then, Go lead the people to where I told you. I.e. Eretz Yisrael. Behold, my angel will go before you. I'm not going to travel with you. Like I'll let you go to Israel even. I'm going to give you everything. You're going to have everything. You're going to go to Israel. You're just not going to have me. That was the second set. Which, if you're in a relationship where it's everybody taking care of their own responsibilities, God says, I'll take care of you. That's my responsibility. Okay, fine. We married. I'll take care of you. Here's the, the credit card. And by the way, for the Jewish people, if all we want to do is just take care of ourselves, it actually would have been a much easier life. If you're around God, the expectations of you are pretty high. If you're just around an angel, whatever, things, there's a little bit more loose. The escrow attorney doesn't care about you. 
Not the way your, your husband cares about you. But no. Moshe comes back up for the third set. The third set of 40 days. The set that starts in Elul. And that's source number 8. And Moshe says to Hashem, Go down to the bottom. If your presence is not going to be with us, don't bring us up. How will we know that we found favor in your eyes, me and, and, and your whole people? It's if you come with us. We want to be different. Every single nation in the world has an angel that takes care of them. There's an angel of Persia, there's an angel of Greece, there's an angel of America, there's an angel of... Every nation has an angel. We don't want an angel. We don't want the type of relationship where you take care of your responsibilities to us and we take care of our... No, we want you. And that was what changes. And that's what Elul is all about. Elul is the time of the year to say, Hashem, I want you in my life. I recognize and value how much wisdom you have. You've been sitting in the top office, in the top floor over there, because of what you have to offer, because of what you know, because of what you can do. I want you to guide me. I'm not going to be the foolish upstart who comes in who thinks he's got it all figured out. I'm, I got this figured out. I'm pretty good. I'm a, I'm a very moral person. I don't need God to tell me about morality. No, 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 no. I want God in my life. I say, God, come, please. If you're willing to come down, you came off of the top office in the top corner and you're down on my floor. God, I want to spend as much time with you as possible. I want to learn from you. I want to be like you. In terms of talking about seeing things from the other person's perspective, let's see another source over here. Source number nine. Before we get to it, just, again, don't worry about yourself for Elo. Don't worry about yourself, about what you did wrong. Right now is say, I want to look at the world through God's eyes. What more can I do to bring a godly perspective into my world? It's not about comfort for me. It's about looking at the world. If you can, can you imagine for a second, guys? Just try this for a second. Close your eyes. We'll do it for 30 seconds. And try to imagine you are God looking down at this world. Okay, guys? Let's do it. In, in three, uh, we'll call it in three. And if you're watching this on Torah anytime, do the same. We're literally going to stop for 30 seconds and try to imagine you are God looking down at the world. Here we go. One, two, three. Okay. What did you experience? It's painful, no? It's literally, it's, it's painful. It's painful. 
to look at the world from God's eyes. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.